and then he wanted to specialize in sustainable design so the choices for him with work were either San Francisco or New York. I felt New York was too similar to London so I was like let's try this California thing for a couple of years and then we'll come back to London. That was PR firm owner Temi Adamalukun. Welcome to Storied San Francisco. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. Quick announcement. Our dear friends over at Bitch Talk Podcast are celebrating 500 episodes, which kind of blows our minds. The virtual event starts 8 p.m. California time tomorrow night. Go to bitchtalkpodcast.com for more info. In this episode of Storied San Francisco, we'll meet Temi, who today is a member of the executive advisory team at Represent Collaborative. But Temi's story starts in Nigeria. She'll share the story of growing up mostly in London, but visiting her hometown of Lagos with her family fairly often. Temi went to boarding school and then university in England before landing a PR job at Condé Nast. She met her future husband in Nigeria, and after he graduated from architecture school, the couple moved to San Francisco. Please check back Thursday for part two, when Temi will tell us about her life in the city including what she's been up to since this summer's uprising for racial and social justice. Here's Temi. Um, So I was born in Nigeria, in Lagos, and my family moved to London when I was about four or five years old. And we lived in London ever since then. And we always had a house in Nigeria. So summer, Christmas, Easter, we'd go back to Lagos. So I always had a really strong connection with Lagos. My parents were very clear on making sure my brother and I, I've got an older brother, three years older than me, they always wanted to make sure we both had that really strong cultural connection. And the best way to create that cultural connection is just spending time immersed in the culture and um, when I was 11 I went off to boarding school okay in England and then I graduated and my first job when I graduated was for Condé Nast they got a contract publishing program in England Mm -hmm. where they bounce you around from different titles so that way you get to experience different titles so I really enjoyed that but what I discovered very quickly I actually enjoyed interacting with the PR people the most so for me that was where I got to learn about PR and I was like actually I want that job so then I moved to working for a PR agency in London which was just the perfect time early 20s working for a PR agency looking after nightclubs, bars, restaurants, oh, it was literally fun. the dream job. Yeah. And then my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, and I moved to San Francisco 12, 13 years ago. And my first job here was in-house for a restaurant group. It was Flower and Water when I oh, joined yeah. them. And then we opened Central Kitchens, Lou Maria and Trick Dog. I really enjoyed the job, uh, did that for a while. And then when I was pregnant, I think the day I left my job, I was six months pregnant with our son. Okay. And I left to set up my own agency. So it was an easy transition in the sense that I didn't have to learn any new skills. I didn't have to buy any product. And by that point, because I'd been doing PR in San Francisco for a while, I had a really strong network. So I had a lot of referrals within the food industry. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for a while, working with chefs like Jacques Pepin on his final TV nice. series for KQED. Yes. I worked with Mark Bittman on a YouTube series called California Matters about the California food chain. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Over time, I started working in the design industry just through a chance meeting with an interior designer who was happy to work with someone that didn't have any experience in design. Mm. And that's where I've been ever since. I really enjoy the space. I really enjoy the work. I really love the clients that we work with. I really enjoy the projects that we get to work on. Mm -hmm. And yeah. 
Okay. That brings me to today. Did you have memories of Lagos before y'all's move to London? Um, not really. You're pretty young. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing for me, especially now that I'm a mom, my son just turned seven, you kind of see where the lasting memories kick in, and I feel the lasting memories seem to kick in right around five, six. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so before that, not really. I mean, obviously, I'd see photos and stuff, and my brother being older than me, he had memories of mm-hmm. life in Lagos mm-hmm. before we moved to London. But then also, there was a continuum there because we always went back yeah, three and times a year. Yeah. Separating those yeah, yeah. would be difficult. Um, but can you, can you speak to some of those experiences? Um, yes, you were young, but, you know, that th- those two places I'm, are very different. I've never yes. been to Lagos. I've been to London, but I'm assuming yeah. they're very different. Yeah. Um, and, and also, I'm assuming when you would go back to Lagos, you would see family. Yeah. 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 Um, so the primary difference is based on the location of the two cities. You know, London is obviously in England, in Europe, and Lagos is in Nigeria, in, in Africa. And in London, we had a very culturally diverse, immersive world. My parents had friends from different countries, so I grew up with that being totally normal, to have friends who are Muslim, to have friends who are Hindu, to have friends of so many different, you know, have friends who are Jewish, just so many different cultures, ethnicities, religions. And the good thing about growing up in that type of environment you can always meet people where they are because everything has always been normal so nothing ever feels like other right and then by contrast you've got lagos in nigeria which is african and everybody well not everybody but the majority of the people there are black yeah not and a lot so, of foreigners or um, there is an expat community it's quite okay. a significant expat community but just in the same way that san francisco is majority white right. and you have people from other places you have different ethnicities it's the same thing in lagos it's majority black right. and you do have expat communities that different people from different countries but i think one of the most important foundational experiences spending so much time in lagos created for me was just the belief that you can meet black people at every single strata of life okay yeah, and I think that's really important. And just the Nigerian personality, um, the Nigerian culture is one that really celebrates life. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of strength and power in the Nigerian identity. You know, I said it in one of the Repco meetings really early on that if you ever try and insult a Nigerian, the basic, on the most basic level, I'm oversimplifying, but the most basic response is, me a whole me <laughs> and Yvonne Orji does this really well in her stand-up comedy that she just did with HBO and watch it but that is basically who we are as people like we feel as a nation and obviously I'm generalizing but people yeah. feel so secure in who they are that if you try and step to anyone with an insult with an affront the immediate response is me you're trying to do that to me so um and I've always carried that with me and okay. I think also through my parents mm-hmm. through their friends I've always known black doctors nurses pilots business owners leaders of industry um, people in government so it was never a case of anything ever feeling out of reach for me. Right. Now going, now switching back to your life um, in London real fast. So again, I guess starting in the roughly the mid eighties, how was it growing up in London? Loved it. Yeah. I had a really nice childhood, to be honest. I definitely feel really fortunate. It's also really interesting being a mom now and just Mm -hmm. seeing how I feel about raising our son Mm -hmm. and how that's impacted by the way I grew up. I had a really nice time. 
I've got an older brother, I'm really tight with my older brother. My parents were great parents, they're now divorced, but they were great parents. Mm -hmm. And they just made sure that they exposed us to as many different things as possible. You know, my mom saw that I loved reading really early on. So every week she'd take me to the local library so I could choose yes. a different book. And, you know, she'd always buy me books and she always had this thing that you know, she will usually say no to a request for a toy, but she would never <laughs> say no to a book. And I do the same thing with my son. And who yeah. knows, you know, if he asked me for a toy, I mean, 90% chance it's going to be a no. But <laughs> if he asked me for a book and like he started to remember, he's like, mommy, remember, you never say no to a book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, kids get things out of toys, but there's yeah. it's it's maybe finite. Whereas a book yeah. is in books in general. Well, also, one of the things I feel about books, it's the best way to immerse yourself in someone else's experience. So again, it creates a bridge between where you are and that, uh, and that experience of other people being so different. Because I think reading a book is like travel without getting on a plane or getting in a car, because you get to experience something completely different from your day-to-day -day life. Absolutely. So what kind of things, you said you said you went away to a boarding school, yeah. like was it in a different part of England or? Yeah, it was in the countryside. Okay. I mean, picture Harry Potter and that's it. Okay. Okay. So you were... Without the magic. Yeah. I was going to say playing Quidditch and everything else. Um, do you want to speak to any of that experience or... Um, yeah. Uh, again, I feel very fortunate. I had a great time. So um, there's a lot of conversation that's obviously been had about the elitism of boarding schools and I get it and you know for the most part when you're a kid living that life you're not necessarily aware of that type of nuance right um, but again I was really fortunate I was very it was a very academic school I was a very academic kid so for me that wasn't really a struggle whereas I feel if it's not a good match between the type of school and the personality of the kid that's where the struggle can definitely kick in but um, yeah no I had a great time I was there for seven years loved it still got lots of friends from there um, we are on a group chat. One of them was just telling me this morning about a couple of girls from our old school that have just written books. And she was like, oh, you have to get these books. And like all of us, there's about 12 of us on the group chat. And everyone's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get Nikki's book. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. What, and what a much better experience than, um, say, Facebook. So I'm assuming you said seven years. So I'm assuming that took you into university yeah. age. Yeah. Um, did you go to university? I did. And you yeah. might have mentioned that. I'm sorry if I forgot. but. Uh, where and, and do you want to speak to anyone? Um, yeah, sure. So I went to university in England. I went to the University of Manchester, studied law because I went to university fairly soon after the O.J. Simpson trial mm. and the Mike Tyson trial and the Tupac case. Okay. And Are those I things just, that ex in, uh, that inspired you to go yes, into law? Okay. very much so because it okay. was three high-profile black men mm -hmm. that, as far as I was concerned, the American judiciary system was determined to bring down. Right. So that was also pretty much the beginning of my high level of interest in race dynamics okay. and just how it played out. Um, so I studied law at the University of Manchester. I realized very quickly the sections of law I found most interesting were those that had the strong storytelling element. Mm. Um, but then in terms of a career, um, I'd always been obsessed with working in the music industry. So there was a summer I did work experience and I actually got placed in the PR department. Okay. And I had a couple of meetings with the legal team and I was like, oh my God, that legal side is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I started to kind of course correct. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be a lawyer. And the more I thought about it, because um, also in England, part of what you have to do, you have to sit through criminal cases. You have to sit through a big criminal case. You have to sit through a civil case. Do you have to wear the wig? No. Okay. Do they do that still? 
They do, they do. But when you're just sitting in as a law student, you just get to sit in the back. You don't have to do anything, but just like see how it actually plays out. And right. we've all seen it on TV so many times. It's also dramatic and mm -hmm. it's really easy to like, you know, form opinions. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually sitting in a room with a guy that tried to kill his girlfriend, I was horrified. Yeah. I was like, I absolutely cannot do this under any circumstances on yeah. a daily basis. And so I was like, yeah, law's not for me. This magazine world looks more interesting. And that's how um, I found my way into Condé Nast. You must be grateful for that. God, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that's called, a negative experience or, you know, like figuring out that you didn't yeah. like it. A um, moment of clarity. Moment of clarity, absolutely. Yeah. So now you're, uh, I'm sorry, were you working for Condé Nast or was it yes. like an internship? It you're was my first job, yeah. Got it. Um, and for the parent company, not any specific magazine or? Yeah, so they've got this really interesting, pro I don't know if they still do it, but when I was there, they had this really interesting program called the contract. It was a graduate recruitment program mm -hmm. in the contract publishing department. So they would put you to work on different titles. So you would get a lot of titles that Condé Nast was contracted to do for other companies like the British Airways magazine, the Savoy Hotel magazine. Mm -hmm. And then I also got to work at different titles. So I spent some time at um, GQ Bride and I interviewed at Vogue which I at the time thought would be like my ultimate job uh -huh. but I realized very quickly oddly I found the brides oh. team to be really fun and I found those shoots to be really fun because Vogue is just really serious yeah obviously it's really serious like the dress is like 30 grand dresses you know, it's <laughs> right. all very serious massive security yeah whereas brides yes they're beautiful dresses and yes they're very expensive dresses but it just felt so much more relaxed but then I was like, I really don't want to work for a bridal magazine. <laughs> so all brides, do... all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah no, much. that's not for me. <laughs> yeah. For me, the bridal thing is a one-time thing. <laughs> were you um, traveling for them no. at the time? You were. This was all Lon London-based. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've always traveled a lot personally. Um, yeah, let's which talk is about again that. something I've been really fortunate to do all my life. I, I grew up traveling as a family with my parents, so again, it was always super normal. Mm -hmm. And the benefit of growing up in London, Europe is really small, and this is also a point in time where all the low cost carriers were operating. They'd all started operating. EasyJet was like the Ryanair, yeah, exactly. and all those. yeah. So you can get anywhere for like fifty pounds return, yeah. and that's like seventy five dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very easy to do. Me and all my friends, like, we'd skip off to different places for long weekends and stuff as like teenagers or uh, I'd graduated by this little point. bit after yeah. okay, okay. so early 20s um, I spent a lot of time in Spain my uncle had a house yes. in Spain in the south of Spain so I spent a lot of time there but other than that just like everywhere and anywhere like if just, anyone had a great idea to go somewhere we were like yeah let's go because it was just really easy to plan you could go last minute so I traveled pretty extensively through Europe okay and then um, just over time I had a great trip to Brazil with friends as mm. well Northern Brazil, Bahia, mm -hmm. um, and gosh, where else have I been? India, different parts of Africa, South Africa, Kenya, Morocco, um, India, Thailand, Sri Lanka, the Middle East, been to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Wow. Yep. You've been around. It's, that's, a little bit. That's a life lived. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. A little bit. Especially now, I'm just so yeah. envious of anyone going yeah. anywhere. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> tell me all about your travel. Yeah. We'll turn this into a travel path podcast. <laughs> Would you like to talk about meeting the man who is now your husband Absolutely. and the father of your? I assume the father of your. Yes, child. he is. Same guy. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. Square all that away. Uh, yeah, yeah. Gosh, you want to tell that story? We've been together for about fifteen years now, okay. and we met um, through my best friend at a party in Nigeria. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we met, and you know, we were friends for. 
gosh, you know, a few months. I can't really remember now. Maybe about four months or so. Was and he living there, or? Yeah, so he's an architect, and okay. he had finished his undergrad. I don't for anyone that's familiar with architecture, there's a lot of like you know school and then work and then back to school. Right. So he'd finished his undergrad in architecture, and he was on a work placement for a year in Lagos, Nigeria, which is where we met. Um, mm -hmm. So at the point we met, I was designing handbags. And I had a trunk show, okay. so that was a party where we met, and he uh, made his presence felt by offering unwanted critique. Oh, there you <laughs> <laughs> what a man! <laughs> he mansplained you, <laughs> and you're like, I love it. <laughs> yeah, but then wow. we became friends, and then um, I opened up a little store and tea room for my handbag brand, which was called Tiger Tem. And he helped me with the design as an architect. He's like, oh, I can help you actually bring your dream into reality. I was like, excellent. So that's how we started spending a lot of time together. Was and that back in back. London or in Lagos? In Lagos. Okay, yes. so, so you opened a little shop in Lagos. Yes. Do you want to yeah. talk about that? You kind of, I, I don't think you had mentioned making handbags. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe I missed it, but. So when I was working in PR in London, um, I started just kind of thinking about what else I could do. I'd always been obsessed with handbags, mm -hmm. and I found out about um, a short course I could do at Central St. Martins, the fashion school in handbag design. So I was like, cool, I'm going to do it. I've always wanted to learn more. I love learning. Mm -hmm. And so I did the course in handbag design. and as part of the course you have to start making handbags. So I started making these really cool clutch bags using um, materials from Nigeria that my mm -hmm. mom just had lying around the house. Mm -hmm. And but every time I'd use them, people would ask me why I bought them. And so I was like, yeah, let me try and sell them. So it was a great thing to have done in my early 20s. It was so much more work than I ever could have anticipated. It did mm -hmm. really well, really quickly, which sounds like best case scenario, unless you're in your early 20s and you don't really know what you're doing, <laughs> in which case it becomes a beast that's very difficult to manage right. effectively. Right. So, um, and, and another reason I wanted to bring your husband in now, one thing I do remember um, from the beginning of this was that you all decided to move to San Francisco yes. together. Yes. So can you kind of uh, not not jump straight to that, but can you kind of set the stage and, and then yeah. talk about that, sure. that decision? Sure. So um, I'd been living in London. I started making handbags after doing the course at Central St. Martins. People were asking a lot about them. One of the things I identified really quickly that could make my handbags different in the market was um, using Nigerian fabrics, indigenously produced fabrics. Mm -hmm. um, so just the strong prints. And then also I found out really early on that a lot of... Um, leathers there's actually mm. massive leather production that happens in nigeria northern okay. nigeria okay. so nigeria also has a lot of access to these beautiful leathers high quality leathers embossed or stamped leathers in all these beautiful different colors and then um, so initially when i started the company i was making handbags myself i couldn't keep up with demand so then i was looking into production i actually went on a trip to spain i went to about three different um handbag factories which was really good fun absolutely loved it i could speak spanish so that was also like really good fun i really enjoyed being there just being in that environment but then I thought you know what I really would actually prefer to make these in Nigeria hmm. so I decided to set up production in Nigeria using Nigerian materials and the business just continued to grow so I was like I'm going to try and open an outpost so that's what led me to um opening a store and yeah. I've always been obsessed with tea cliched growing up in England but it's true <laughs> and so I wanted to and the space I found was bigger than I needed mm -hmm. so I decided to make half of it into a tea room yes. and keep the other half as a boutique and I mentioned I'd met my um, husband who 
um, was an architect and I met him at one of my first trunk shows for the handbag brand and he helped me with the design of the store and tea room so we spent a lot of time together after about three years of this I was definitely getting massively burnt out mm. in the interim um, I'd spent most of my time in London and he was on a graduate program in London as well so we we're still together a lot in London and then he wanted to specialize in sustainable design so the choices for him with work were either San Francisco or New York I felt New York was too similar to London so I was like let's try this California thing for a couple of years and then we'll come back to London and had and you had you visited no. either of you he had a okay. long time ago but okay. I had never I'd never been to California I'd only been to New York so you knew absolutely nothing about it, but I was like, yeah, it's two years, it's not that big a deal, we're not going to be here that long, if we hate it, we'll leave. Right. Um, it's a familiar story. Yeah. <laughs> At least yeah, for this I feel podcast. it is. <laughs> I feel it is for a lot of people. Yeah. And Can you talk about what, what you did know about San Francisco? Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, and it's really interesting for me, because I think people in America forget how little people outside America know about America. So right. all I knew of California was L.A. Okay, right. So I knew like pictures and just the whole like LA vibe and the whole LA scene and I was like Northern California what's that? Yeah what is <laughs> there's something in California that's not Los Angeles? Yeah. So that was um, and also back then there wasn't a ton of information readily available it's yeah. not this, and San Francisco as a city was much smaller then 12-13 yes, years ago than it is now. Yes. So um, yeah I knew very little about it. But we were happy to, we'd both traveled a lot together. Um, he traveled a lot growing up, I traveled a lot growing up. We traveled a lot together in our relationship. So we were very happy to, you know, try something different, have an adventure. We felt it was going to be a short-lived adventure, therefore not that big a deal in the mm -hmm. grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. um, so we came, he came out ahead of me to San Francisco and um, he had to do all the legwork to find us a place. And we ended up finding a place in Petrero. Okay. Yeah, and that was home for... 10 years. Awesome. Yeah. So literally, um, you guys decided that you'd move before even visiting. Was that what you're Pretty telling much, me? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. for him, he wanted to do a master's program. So it was either going to be New York or San Francisco. And he asked me, he was like, yeah, what do you think? And I was like, definitely not New York. I'd spent, you know, a bit of time in New York. I'd been out there a few times. I absolutely loved it. But I was like, it's also, to me at the time, it didn't feel like anything different enough from London. Right. right. And I was like, if we're going to do this, I'd rather do something that actually feels quite different from right. London. Can we talk about your first, your arrival and sure. your impressions of yeah, this good. wacky place? Yeah, not good. Okay. Not good at all. All right. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Um, so, gosh. Okay, so my Toby had been looking for places. We'd found a place in Petrera that we both liked. So it was very much like done via email. You know, I'd find the listing, send him off to look at them. He'd look at them and tell me what he thought. Um, so he thought the place in Petrero, we both liked it from the listing. And then when he went to see it, he really liked it in person as well. It was a new build, so just easier mm -hmm. all around to be in a relatively new space as opposed to something that's old that you have to kind of yeah. figure out all the things that are wrong with it. it. Um, so my first impression, so I remember getting on the plane, I was really nervous leaving London. I was like, I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea what this is going to be like. I was like 11 hours because it's not a normal thing for me at that point in time to been anywhere that far away that was an 11 hour flight yeah apart from maybe south africa right um so yeah there was the length of the flight and i was like woof gosh that's a long one and then i landed and toby was at college that day so um i got a cab 
to a hotel because our keys weren't going to be ready for three days for our place. Okay. So I was like, okay, fine. So we were like, yeah, we'll spend uh, three nights in a hotel. So we were in a hotel downtown. I remember driving into downtown and just seeing how dirty the streets were mm -hmm. and also the number of homeless people. Because to be honest, I'd never seen that in one in a richer country. I'd seen it obviously in Nigeria and developing countries, mm -hmm. but I'd never seen it in anywhere in Europe mm -hmm. or anywhere I'd been in America. So I was like, what is this? This is so weird. Right. Um, so I was a bit unnerved by that. Mm -hmm. We went out for dinner on the first night and he was telling me about his experience so far in San Francisco. He was asking me what I made of it. I was like, yeah, I'm really not sure about this, you right. know, but we're here so we'll enjoy it. Um, and then we got our keys to our place and Petrero was beautiful. So I fell yeah. in love with Petrero straight away. And yeah. then we had a lot of fun settling into our place, like finding our different bits of furniture. Mm -hmm. And then just like settling into life, um, meeting people, making friends, which definitely took a while. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in and out of San Francisco quite a lot at the beginning, so I didn't have a green card yet. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Um, the two things that really changed my experience of San Francisco, the first was getting my job at the restaurant group because then I actually had like real structure for my life. Before yeah. then, I'd still been making handbags sporadically. I had mm -hmm. a blog for a while, mm -hmm. but I just really craved structure and mm -hmm. like something to, and purpose, something yeah. to do. I just needed something to do. And a community or, or yeah. a network of, of folks yeah. and, and yeah. I mean, the restaurants part doesn't yeah. hurt anything. Yeah. And it was a great restaurant, great team. Still love them now. Still one of my favorite restaurants in San Francisco. I still think Flying Waltz does the best pizza in San Francisco. Okay. And this is how it works for me with PR. I don't say that because I work there. I work there because I felt that. Got it. Because my husband and I had been there for dinner quite a few times and I was like oh my god this is like such a great restaurant and it just felt so progressive and so different from everything else and I was like it'd be amazing if I could work here one day so I saw a listing on Craigslist I was like I'm gonna apply me and 5,000 other people yeah, right. and um somehow I got the job nice thanks yeah. Craigslist I guess thanks yeah 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 so that was like the first thing that really changed my experience of okay. San Francisco and then the second one was having my son That was Temi Adamalukun. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, Temi will tell us about her work in the city, as well as starting a family here. She'll also speak to the current movement for racial and social justice. Join us for part two this Thursday. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 130 episodes over the last three years, and you can find them all at our website, storiedsf.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can like, comment, and share the stuff we put out. Find the podcast just about everywhere you can listen, including, most recently, BFF.fm's new podcast network. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. We love feedback, so if you have any, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.